You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, glad you guys are joining us on this Sunday. We are continuing to figure out what does it look like for us to be in this new realm of having Resonate Live. And so, again, glad you're here. We are excited that you're here, but we want to make sure that you understand that this is not all that is a part of our church. And in fact, this week, you're getting to experience some things that we're rolling out. Um, We're doing the Resonate Sessions. Our Resonate Sessions is our Resonate podcast. And this week is going to be Jacob Dahl talking about... what it looks like to embrace our coping things that are happening in coronavirus and un- understand what it looked like to connect that to a calling. And so you're not going to miss this. It's just really talking about some things that are really pervasive in our culture right now that really need some perspective in terms of worldview. And so this is what Jacob's going to be talking about. And so I want to make sure you hit that. Not only that is that every day we are getting to connect together as a church around Instagram and being able to have one of our pastors really talk about the attributes of God and how God is a loving God. And so every day, that's just something to tune into and begin to understand, hey, we can pray together and we can continue to connect together. Not only that is that we're doing all kinds of these social things that as we are isolated and scattered, um, we're getting to connect together around all kinds of these cool social events. So make sure that you're going to resonate.net and finding out what is happening uh, around us that's bigger than just this worship gathering. I want us to understand that we are still a disciple-making movement church. Nothing has changed about that. Nothing has changed by the fact that God is still moving. And we're seeing so many cool stories of you and what God is doing as you are scattered across the nation. And so um, this is more than just an online worship service. Um, It's really a collection of what God's doing together. And so we get to um, really continue this process and begin to understand what does it look like for us as we get to um, take and kind of operate in this coronavirus reality week by week. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this reality that um, we were seeing the trends and the shopping things that were happening. And first it was, we ran out of toilet paper and then hand sanitizer and soap. And then there was like food staples. And so you, our family couldn't find flour. We live in the Palouse and we could not find flour. It was this crazy thing. So that was kind of that first stage. And now we're seeing this like crazy second stage happen where in the midst of this crisis, we're seeing things like, like Walmart is reporting that there is significantly more tops that are being sold than bottoms. And so this is kind of this crazy thing. I'm not sure what's happening, but uh, this is evidently what video conference world looks like. So everyone says, I don't care what I'm wearing underneath, but I want to look nice up top. So, uh, so this new reality of uh, very questionable choices for our clothing. Not only that, is guns are flying off the shelves. Um, we are seeing all these people that are deciding to, to purchase guns. One of the guys in my village said, this is the wrong time to purchase a gun. If you've never had a gun, this is the wrong time to buy one. And yet, this is what's happening. Um, around our world is there's more and more guns. Not only that is evidently um, there is a run on alcohol. So um, so we begin to see this reality that people are buying uh, all these tops, way more than bottoms. They're purchasing guns and alcohol. And so effectively, as I think about this, this is basically an average Tuesday. You just add a porch um, and it's the average Tuesday of the place where I grew up. So um, bottoms, alcohol, guns. So no bottoms, alcohol, and guns. So uh, this is what uh, really we have is this new reality and this crisis as we begin to walk, walk into the next few weeks 
um, really is what we begin to hear as you begin to look at the news. Um, we're, we're heading into something that's going to be more and more significant in our world and more and more serious in our world. And as that begins to happen, here's some things that we begin to do. So our primitive um, like biological um, lives, our, ourselves, the way that we're kind of orchestrated is that when, when these kind of moments hit, even just, again, physiologically, our eyes, when we begin to get into these places of threats, um, we begin to kind of focus on what is in the very center. Even our peripheral vision begins to get more and more blurry. And we begin to have these places where we kind of have this massive focus and sensitivity to the threats around us. And that's how we're wired um, from a biological standpoint. And we begin to have this, this response to threats and response to the crisis. And if you're like me and you're like many other people, you're feeling this response. And there's at some level, all of us are having at some uh, kind of sensitivity level, this response to be able to say, there's something that's happening. There's an increasing amount of anxiety and worry and fear and, and anger. And so we're all over the place and a lot of these things. But, but here's what I think that we need to be really clear on is that crises tend to do this. They tend to orient our thoughts and they tend to orient our focus upon ourselves. And when, when really we begin to experience that, what happens is that thought focus on ourself and that thought focus on us specifically takes and really exacerbates um, our response to these threats that we can't do anything about. Again, our, we're biologically wired to be able to want to respond to threats, but what happens when the threat is less tangible and we can't really do something with a viral sickness or an economic fallout? What do we do? And so we get stuck oftentimes in these places where we get into these moments where our focus on ourselves really exacerbates worry and anxiety and fear and anger. And we're seeing these as byproducts across our world. And so what do we do with that? And uh, and I want to take and, and I want us today in, in resonate as we begin to, to worship together and begin to look at this. Uh, I want you to hear really clearly that Jesus has something to say to this and Jesus has an answer to these things. And the beautiful thing is, is that our heavenly father has given us tools to be able to use um, every day in our life. But particularly they're important when we get into the moments of crisis. We have, get, we have been given tools that are enabling us to be able to not only survive thrive in, in crisis, but to be able to thrive. And so you need to know what those are. And to be able to discover those, we're going to go into the text and we're going to look at the, the book of Acts. And Acts is really telling about the early church. And it's telling about what the response was as people began to live out this gospel in specifically the format of, of all the crises that they experienced. And so we're, today we're going to look in Acts chapter 4. And so if you're, um, if you have your copy of scripture, and in fact, I want to just ask you, we, we're digital everywhere now. And so if you have a like physical copy of a Bible, if you have a journal and a paper and pen, I want us to go a little analog on this and to be able to just look at this and have this moment. And so if you don't, no, no worries. We'll be able to put the, um, the words up on the screen. But, but if not, I want you to follow along just to be able to allow us to have maybe a different experience in this. And so in this, what's happening is this is that these tools are, are going to get exposed in Acts chapter 4. And, and really what we've seen is that we have Jesus that came to this earth and lived this life and had a ministry of about three, three and a half years. And through that ministry, he revealed that he was the son of God. He lived this perfect life. And then ultimately he orchestrated his death on a cross that really paid for our sins that we might have access to God. And this is the good news that we were distanced from God and now we are reconciled to 
God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. What this began to do was ignite a group of people and ignite of movement because all of a sudden they were distanced from God. They began to understand that they have a new opportunity to follow God. And this created the church. And the church started with about 120 people and it began to grow rapidly. And so by Acts chapter four, what we begin to see is there's about five thousand people that are part of this church. And what happens is this rapid expansion of the gospel of Jesus, which is the same gospel as we have today with the same power and opportunity as we have for it to be able to spread across our world today. What happens is it begins to to butt up against um, people with different agendas. And those people with different agendas are trying to lock down Christianity, are trying to thwart Christianity. And ultimately, they're trying to um, to take the leaders out of that leadership uh, opportunity that they have and to be able to do things that begin to kind of uh, really thwart Christianity and persecute Christianity. And so Peter and John have just moved from being able to have this moment where they're um, called before the, this court, and finally they realize they can't, they can't do anything but threaten them. And so they have this threat, and this crisis looms, and ultimately they return to the church. And here's the response to the church, and here's something that you and I need to understand, the response to the threat of the church. When they begin to have this moment where they're pressed, how do they begin to respond? And so in verse 24, here's what it says in Acts chapter 4. It says this, um, when they heard this, they raised their voice. And then talking about when they heard this, when they heard them come back and tell the story of them being threatened and released um, from the court, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is the first thing they've started praying to God. And here's their prayer. You need to hear this. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And here's what he, they quote him. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy spirit, or sorry, holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your Holy Spirit's Holy Servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one in were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and the and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them, and there was no needy persons among them. I think this is this beautiful picture of what happens when crisis enters into the church and how the church responds with these specific tools. And so I want to be able to kind of unpack just what I see and really what emerges from this story of the early church and to be able to understand that you have been given tools to be able to use in your moment of crisis and in our moment of crisis. And we need to, be ma- we need to make sure that our eyes are lifted off of ourselves and we can be able to engage these tools. So number one, here's the tool. Shift 
the shift from my perspective to God's perspective. The first tool that you have in your, in your tool belt, so to speak, to be able to combat crisis is the shift from my perspective to God's perspective. So what does this mean? As we look at this, what happens? They begin to have this moment where all of a sudden, the, the crisis is all around them and they begin to see this action of God and this action of God helps them to be able to have a radically different view of what is going on. So here's what they say. When they heard this, they raised their voice and here's what they said. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is a fa fascinating thing because it's almost as if they're looking at this thing from their point of view and all of a sudden it's like they shift that view and they begin to see this whole thing from God's point of view. They begin to see this whole thing. So it's like this. If you and I are to live our lives and we see kind of how the world works around us, but then we go to Apple Maps or Google Maps or whatever thing that you use to be able to figure out how do you get to places and how you see the world. But if you've ever looked at your house or anything, all of a sudden you begin to see a viewpoint of your world that you've never seen before and how it interlocks with these other places, these other uh, geographical realities around you. And all of a sudden there's a, there's a view that you've never had before. In your life. And it always is this moment where you begin to see kind of, man, I look a lot smaller. My house looks a lot smaller. Where I live looks a lot smaller when I begin to see this from a different perspective. And it's like this thing happens for us that when we approach Jesus and when we begin to see God at work, it changes our point of view. And here's how it changes our point of view. That in these moments, what happens? Let me just go back one more thing. In verse 28, 28, it says this, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Like there's this clarification that God is in control, that they begin to see the world from a different perspective. And then they begin to see the narrative from a different viewpoint. So when we begin to take this same thing, the tool that we have been given is the, is the gift of perspective, the tool of being able to shift our perspective to be able to see something different. And, and we have to reframe the issue. So when we look at the coronavirus, when we look at the economic fallout, when we look at the social distancing, here's what we have to figure out. What does it look like for us to be tethered to something that is untouchable by this world? So when we begin to know that the things that we find our deepest hope and meaning in, when they're located within this world, they can be touched by crisis. They can be touched by economic fallout. They can be touched by social distancing. But when we find our, when we find our hope in something that's tethered beyond this world, then all of a sudden it changes everything about us. If your hope is found in something that can be taken from you, then there's always a threat. If your hope is found in something that can be taken from you, it's always a threat. And many of us live in a world where we're trying to manage threats. But if your hope is found in something that can't be taken from you, there's always peace. And this is what we have to understand as believers. This is what separates us from being able to say we're just the same as anyone else in this world is that you have an opportunity to have a perspective on your life that's tethered beyond this world, that's tethered to something outside of this thing so that coronavirus can't touch this, that death can't touch this, that your economic reality can't touch this. And how much of your life is, is spent focused on, focused on those things that it cannot be touched. And that ultimately gives you the sense of, of peace. 
And so in this, how is it that you begin to live this out? So let me, let me just give you two practical ideas for how to begin to connect the thing that you put your hope in to something that's outside of this world. One is just go back and allow your mind to be focused on God's word. So really practically, um, Resonate Church has an opportunity for you to have a Bible reading plan. Right now, we have a specific thing that's happening as we move towards Easter. And that will allow you to not have to put any mind, you know, energy into figuring out what should I read. Just go to the Resonate website, uh, resonate.net, and you can find out how a Bible reading plan can be something that you begin to engage in right now and that you begin to fill your mind with the perspective of God and not just have your mind filled with the 24-hour news cycle that's telling you something that ultimately is not going to allow you to have peace, but to have fear, anxiety, um, anger, um, all of these things are going to enter in. Number two, whenever you have a moment that you start to feel anxious, create a reminder to change your perspective. Now, this is not going to change overnight. We're not just going to say, hey, have a new perspective about your life. And you're like, oh, done, Keith, got it. You know, we're still going to have these moments where we kind of default back into the ruts that we've um, created all of our lives in some cases. And so how is it that you can begin to say, hey, when I have this moment, when worry creeps in, when anxiety, when fear, all that begins to creep in, how is it that I begin to immediately shift and to be able to say, okay, I've got to put my mind in something. I've got to change my point of view. And maybe it is you take this same verse. What did they do? They, they begin to say, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. And maybe you can just take that. You write that down and you begin to say, okay, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the seas and everything in them. And it begins to help you to say, okay, who am I in the midst of that? And it changes your perspective for you to be able to understand, okay, I need to take a deep breath and realize God is in control. He's always been in control. He has my best in mind and he is in charge of this situation. I can tether my hope into something outside of myself. I can't tell you how many times in my life over and over, I look back and I realize that God had it in control over and over and over in my life. I think back to, to being in high school and having this desire to, um, to play golf and then having this injury that kept me from doing that. And then I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I was, in, I was crazy then. I had all this anxiety and fear and all this stuff. But I begin to say, God was working all this and he began to work this in a beautiful, beautiful way. And so our history can help us to be able to be reminded of what God has done over and over. Tool number two. Shift from me to we. This is the second tool that God has given you. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's given you this tool and you need to be able to use this tool to be able to understand how to thrive in the midst of crisis. It says this in verse 32, Acts chapter four, verse 32. All believers were in one heart and mind. It basically says this, as they begin to understand this shift, they begin to understand that there's also this opportunity and the tool that we have been given and the tool that ultimately was set up by Jesus was the fact that it was not an individual faith. This was never ever created to be a private individual faith. Now this is the one lie that we get from Western Christianity is that it is like your personal thing. The way that Christianity was designed was for us to be able to do this in community. And from the very beginning, it says this, all the believers were one in heart and mind, that there was a unity that, that was there, that there was a connection that was there, that was, there was something that, that really they were, they were oriented around each other. And I think that this is, this is one of those things that whenever there's a death, whenever there's a crisis, 
we show up. This is just what you do when you begin to have this place. And so we think about um, these realities that when difficulties come, man, we don't know what to say. And sometimes we don't know what we want people to say to us if there's a tragedy in our lives, but we just want people there. And our proximity in our lives in the moments of crisis is the most important thing. In this place right now, we have isolation geographically. So what we have to do is we have to figure out what it means for us to continue to operate the tool that he's given us for crisis. And so, you know, it might look like, you know, radically different. It might look like something that we've never seen before. It might be um, that we begin to understand, hey, this is what it looks like in, in this digital way. This is what it looks like. You know, this is what, this is what Jesus might have done if we were to talk about how this was to live life um, in this new digital age. So we need to figure out that this is what we've been called to do, even if it's hard. And my hope is this, is that we would begin to be more unified as a church through this process, that, that there would be more togetherness that we would experience, that there would be more unity that we would experience, and not only for Resonate Church, but for the church in general, that we would begin to display this beautiful picture of what unity looks like in a divided and divisive country, that our churches would be able to say, we have a tool together, we've been given a tool in how to operate through the crisis, and that is to have unity. And what a beautiful picture if something that was one of the most difficult times in our nation's history began to take us from divided and siloed to unified together as the church began to display, this is what it looks like. And so what does it mean for us to have unity like never before, for you to have connection like never before? And it might be difficult to do this, and it might be hard for us to do this, but I want us to know that the entire belief system of Christianity is based upon the idea of loving people selflessly. This is what separates us from everything else. Our faith erodes if we don't have an outlet for the gospel to flow through us, not just to us. Our faith comes alive when it begins to be used as, uh, as a conduit and not just a receptacle. And so I want to make sure that we hit this again because I think that we're going to have to make sure that we get out of this rut. We need to meet together. We need to meet together just like Jesus did, like just like you know he did with his, his guys. But we need to figure out how to make this happen, even if it's difficult. We need to make sure that we continue to meet together, even if it's over video call, even if it's in a digital chat, even, even if it's something that we're not used to doing. We just need to suck it up and try to figure out how do we do this. The second thing we need to figure out is not just being able to be connected, but going deep with each other. We need to figure out what does it look like to be able to get into the tender parts of our lives, even if we can't be in the same room. We have to have boldness to ask, how are you doing, and not let the digital reality keep our relationship shallow. I think it's key for us to understand how important the church is. A few years ago, I was able to have a conversation with a pastor of a church in Wuhan. And he began to describe the unique realities of having a church that's there in, in that country. And he began to describe what it looked like for people to be able to participate in this church. And he began to describe um, just really how important it was for his people 
and how, how what a high view of church that they had. In fact, there's one uh, girl in his church found Jesus and is a college student and just recognized her life was radically different with Jesus and she needed to be connected to the church. The unfortunate reality was that her parents were completely against her being able to be a part of this. And so there was this, this tension as she began to go and to be a part of this and progressively they began to limit her capacity to go to church. And ultimately it, it, it ended, well not ended, it, it progressed to this point where they would on Sundays just lock her door and she would not be able to leave her house um, on Sundays. But it didn't keep her from ultimately being a part of this. She lived on this second story um, and she would escape out of her building by jumping out the window. And uh, the pastor told her that she would come um, and she would come to church and there'd be times where she would be injured. Um, and ultimately she, she had a broken ankle at times, but she would leave and she would escape from that because of how significant it was for her to be able to say, nothing's gonna stop me from being able to meet together with my church. And I think about that understanding and, and how it seems like that fits into this idea of what it means to be the church in crisis, what it means to be the church when it's hard. And I believe that we need to take and we need to understand that it's key for us to be able to do that. The harder it is to worship Jesus, the more we need to worship Jesus. And the harder it is to gather, the more we need to gather together. And so even if this is digital, we need to figure out what does it look like to take this tool and be able to use it. Tool number three, the shift from protection to generosity. Here's what it says. It says in this, no one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. There's something that happened that began to take their eyes and lift it off themselves and put it on the needs of others. There's something that is really hard for us to understand, but it is so true that generosity is connected to peace. That when we begin to operate in a generous posture, it begins to elicit peace in our lives. So generosity, it pries our eyes off of ourselves. And what happens is that when we begin to look at the needs of others, it releases us from only thinking about our needs. And what happens is when we begin to not think about the needs that we have, we begin to be separated from the fear and anxiety that those needs might cause, that we might not know all the answers to that. But when we begin to see other people have those needs and be able to think about what they are going through, it releases us from the bondage of basically self-centeredness. And again, that brings us into a place where we dive into grace and we begin to have this amazing reality that we give. And, and I want us to get that we don't give just for others' sake. This is a gift that gives back to us, that when we begin to give, we are the one that's blessed. We are the one that's, that gets received um, in, the, in the most significant way. Here's what it says in verse 34. Here's what happens, just a few sentences down. As they begin to do this, it says there were no needy persons. There's no needy persons among them. That they begin to see this incredible thing happen where all these people were taken care of. And uh, and here we need to hear this. Now we're scattered all over the United States. There's people from from um, other countries and across the United States. And the cool thing about this is every place that we're located, there's needs. 
every place that we're located all across this, there's places for us to be able to say there's needs around us. And we can begin to focus on those things and we can begin to band together. And so what does it look like for you to be able to think about the needs that are around you? And even better, what would it look like for you to be able to connect with your village and to be able to have this community that's on mission together, meeting needs around us, that thing begins to eject some of that fear, some of that anxiety. It begins to use the tools that God has given us to navigate and thrive in this in this crisis. And so here's what I want to go back to. Shift your perspective from yours to God's. What does it look like to tether to something that cannot be removed from you? Shift from me to we. Shift from protection to generosity. And here's what I know that God is constantly trying to pull our eyes off of ourselves and pull up, bring our eyes up and to be able to say, this is what it looks like for us to see something bigger. And when he finally gets us to see something beyond ourselves, it is always better. It is always better. And even in the difficulties, what we begin to see is that this is the story that God is inviting us into, the story that we get to be a part of. And over and over in the story of God's people, God brings their eyes up and said, even in the crisis, even when it's difficult, if you begin to take your eyes off yourself, you begin to see something that's greater than you could ever imagine on your own. And so here's what I'd like for you to do. Um, as we've heard God's word and we think about these tools, I want to give you a moment just to process this. We believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us in this moment and for you to be able to listen to what God is saying to you and you begin to respond to it. So I want to give you three questions that allow you to be able to just respond to God's word. The first one is, what area is it most difficult to get God's perspective instead of your own? That when we begin to have these two perspectives, which one, where is it most difficult for you to get God's perspective and to release your perspective? Question number two. What's one tangible action that you can take to strengthen your community this week? Maybe it's that you connect to community or maybe you go deeper with community, but what's one tangible action for you to take and say, I need to use the tool. I've been, op I've been operating without this tool. What's one way that you can begin to say um, you can operate in this this week? Number three, what are two needs that you can meet this week to cultivate generosity? Are there two needs that you can say, I can identify two needs and I'm going to attempt to meet those needs in order to cultivate generosity in my, in my heart? Just take a minute and, um, and write down what your responses are to these, to these questions. Begin to process, what is it God might be saying to me in this time?
Well, I hope you got to have an opportunity just to hear God speak, um, and, and I pray that you're continuing to listen and have a soft heart to be able to say, this is what he might be communicating to you. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up around a lot of tools. My dad was a craftsman and uh, really enjoyed doing woodworking, and so I remember always asking, what was this tool for, and what was this tool for, and what it was used for, and it, it was always amazing to me how many things that there was tools for, and there was places where you you could begin to do something much easier if you had the right tool. And I remember growing up and, uh, and, and trying to do something and my dad saying, hey, you should use a tool for that and beginning to realize, oh my goodness, this is crazy easy now that I have the right tool. And if you've ever tried to work on something that had the wrong tool or no tool at all, if you know exactly what I'm talking about, using the right tools is what, it, what really matters um, in terms of being able to have an ease in completing the task. And in this, I want us just to know that God has given us the tools for this and God has given us um, all that we need to be able to not only survive, but to thrive in the midst of this of this crisis. But it might be that um, like when I grew up, there was things that I didn't know what they did. And I would look at this and say, Dad, what does this tool do? And, um, and there might be some of you that as you begin to, as we describe these tools, they really make sense only in the context of following Jesus. And I really want to help us to understand it. In, the, in light of this crisis, um, none of us should make assumptions about where we stand with Jesus. And so if that's you today um, and you're in this place and you're like, I'm not sure where I stand with Jesus, um, I want you to know that there's an opportunity. I want to invite you to have an opportunity to respond to this. And, and really just clearly, the baseline is this, is that none of us are perfect and all of us have sinned against God and that's created separation. But God sent his son to be able to live a perfect sinless life and die on a cross and his sacrifice covers our sin and allows us to have union and reconciliation with our heavenly father, but it requires us being able to say yes to Jesus. It requires us being able to say, I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. Um, and if that's not something you've done before, I want to invite you to make that decision today. And it's really easy, even in this online platform, just to click, want to follow Jesus, want to make a decision. And that's going to bring you to a place where someone can share with you and pray with you about that. And, and I want to encourage you to say, hey, in this moment, figure out what that decision is in your life. Don't make an assumption about who you are in light of who, who Jesus is. And for, the, for you, maybe if you've been living this life of being a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been really using these tools, my encouragement to you this week is to be able to dive into this. Allow God to change your perspective, beginning to dive into community and beginning to exercise a heart of generosity. I believe that these are the tools that are going to allow us to thrive in the midst of this and that ultimately God is, is really allowing us to experience his presence as we begin to live these things out. I love you guys, and I'm praying for us as a church as we continue to follow Jesus with all our heart. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.